0: Good evening everybody, good evening. If you'd open up your Old Testament to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 22. We're going to be using that passage as the backbone to our study this evening, Numbers the 22nd chapter. Gonna engage actually in a kind of a lengthy reading right here at the beginning and so you'll really be helped if you'll get a Bible and be reading along with me and look at some of the other passages that we'll talk about and discuss this evening for these next few minutes. As you're turning to Numbers 22, let me just join in the welcome from earlier. It's great to see everybody tonight. We do once again have visitors with us and we're glad that you've come to be here and you are our honored guests and we just thank you so much for your presence and your participation and encouragement that you provide by being with us and hope that you find everything that we do today to be done in spirit and in truth. We are beginning week number 8 in our Bible reading program for the year, the His Story Bible reading plan, where we're reading about God's story and God's work through the Israelite nation. And this week we'll be reading in Numbers chapter 23, 24, and 25, which are pretty much the story, really the result, of Balaam. This guy who is talked about as being a prophet. We have all kinds of questions about Balaam and lots of uh, uncertainty about who he was and everything that he was trying to do. However, the one chapter about Balaam that we're probably most familiar with is the one chapter we won't be reading as part of our schedule. You're welcome to read it on your own. And so, since it wasn't on our schedule, I thought it would probably be a good idea. Let's just actually study about Balaam tonight. Let's study from Numbers chapter 22 in that story that is so, so familiar to just about every single one of us young and old alike. And so let's read together. In Numbers chapter 22, I'm reading here beginning in verse 21. In Numbers 22 verse 21, you'll remember just to kind of get us up to verse 21, Balaam has been sought out by Balak, the king of the Moabites. And the king of the Moabites is very concerned because he's hearing things about these Israelites, how they're growing in number, and he feels threatened by them. And so he seeks out this guy by the name of Balaam who is believed to have prophetic powers, and he wants Balaam to bring about a curse upon the Israelite people. And so we pick up then in verse 21 of Numbers 22, "...so Balaam rose in the morning..." and saddled his donkey, and he went with the princes of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now Balaam was riding on a donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And so Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you, that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you've made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And Balaam said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men. You speak only the words that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the prince's of Balak. Does anybody recognize uh, this character right here? If you have kids who were born any time, I don't know, within the last decade or so, then surely you do. That, of course, is the loud donkey voiced by Eddie Murphy in the Shrek movies. Donkey, if you've watched those movies, he's, he's always running his mouth, he's always cracking jokes, and his mouth is always getting him into trouble. Or, if you're not familiar with Donkey, for those of you that might be a little bit older, maybe you would be more familiar with this guy right here, Mr. Ed, the talking Palomino horse from the 1960s television show of the same name. Ed was always conversing and carrying on conversations with his owner, Wilbur, demonstrating just a a sharp wit that usually resulted in hilarious hijinks and antics. Or, even if you're not that I can go back even further. For those of you that have some gray in your hair, you might even remember you might even remember Francis. Francis the talking mule, the famous army mule from the nineteen forties and fifties, who had his own comic book series which later evolved into a string of very lucrative comedies for Universal Studios. Because after all, thinking about all of these funny things and comedies, after all, who doesn't love a talking equestrian animal? Hollywood has long been fascinated with the idea of horses and mules and donkeys that are able to speak and carry on conversations with humans, particularly in a humorous and funny way. And that's why they just keep turning out these kinds of characters generation after generation. I, I can't wait to see what the next one is going to be because, because it's just funny. In fact, I'm about 99.9% sure that the creative is behind Shrek and Ed and Francis, they got their inspiration for those characters from right here in Numbers chapter 22. Because let's be honest, the story of Balaam and his donkey, it's funny. It's a funny story. There is just something inherently hilarious about a guy carrying on a conversation with a domesticated animal and then acting as if that's just... Normal, everyday behavior. He's just carrying on talking with her and just seems like a normal kind of thing. I mean, come on, that is the perfect setup for a TV sitcom. That's comedy gold right there. But you know, I am not so sure that God put the story of Balaam and the talking donkey in the Bible just so we would get a chuckle out of it every time that we read it. You know, Numbers, there's all this serious stuff going on in the book of Numbers. We need a little bit of comic relief in the middle to break it up. I know of some folks, and I've read some stuff online, some folks who say that Numbers chapter 22, it's purely satire. It's nothing more than just a cute little story that God included in the Bible just to show everybody that He does, in fact, have a sense of humor. But can I ask you, can we really just read this story and laugh about it a little bit and then kind of just move on with our lives? In light of what Paul said in passages like Romans 15 and verse 4, When Paul said that the things that were written in former days, those Old Testament scriptures, that they are there for our learning, they are there for our instruction, they are there for our encouragement. I'm thinking that God wants us to take this story just a little bit more seriously. In fact, if you know the end of Balaam's escapades, then you already know that this is not some kind of hee hee ha ha kind of story. I'm thinking this evening that instead of us looking at this talking donkey story, I'm thinking of of looking at it in a funny way. We need to maybe break convention a little bit. I'm thinking maybe we need to look at this story and see what we can learn from it. Let's find out how we can be encouraged by it. I want to talk this evening to you about the serious business of donkeys. Because I do believe that there is a very serious and vitally important moral to this story. And in order for us to get to that moral, we're not going to have time to get off chasing all kinds of different rabbits like we normally do with this story. Normally we start asking all kinds of questions about whether or not Balaam was actually a prophet from God or maybe he was a false prophet. We start going off into the New Testament where the New Testament does talk about Balaam. Talk about his greed and there's certainly lessons to be learned from that. We kind of get bogged down in all of these different details and I think we miss... What might just be the most fundamental thing that we can learn from this story? You want to hear what I believe is just kind of the, the stripped down, nuts and bolts, Josh McKibben summary of Numbers chapter 22? Here it is. Man travels down a wrong path. God uses a donkey to get him back on the right path. Wow. Aren't you glad you came back for Sunday evening services? This is the only kind of deep teaching from God's Word that you'll get here at Lakeside at 6 p.m. on Sunday nights. Yet I would suggest to you that that very simple and that very basic rendition of the story of Balaam and his donkey, I believe it holds the key to unlocking three powerful truths that we need to come to grips with three serious truths about donkeys that you and I need to understand as we work together and as we serve Jesus Christ. And that all begins, let's just jump right into it, that begins with this very first truth, and that is that God will indeed put a donkey in my path to keep me from going off course. Look again there in Numbers chapter 22. You know, we tend to give an inordinate amount of attention to that donkey, but Let's make sure that we put the emphasis where Scripture puts the emphasis. And that's on God. Look at verse 22 again. God's anger was kindled against Balaam for going. Verse 28, then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. Verse 31, the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. You see, this story really isn't even about Balaam and his dysfunctional donkey. It's about Balaam and his dysfunctional relationship with God. The donkey is merely the vehicle, the method, the means by which God gets Balaam's attention to keep him from going further off course. And I thought about this point. As I've surveyed the Bible, and as you have as well, it is amazing to see the variety of ways in which God will sometimes wrestle to get people's attention and to point them in the right direction. Whether that means being swallowed by a big giant fish, Jonah. Or maybe that means being blinded by a bright light on the road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus. Or maybe that means just being confronted by a wise old prophet who says, You are the man, David. All throughout the Bible, we see God going to extraordinary lengths, sometimes in very creative fashion as He did here with Balaam. But He goes to extraordinary lengths to grab men and grab women by the shirt collar and say, Get it turned around. You're going in the wrong way. Start going this way. And sometimes all it would take from God is kind of a gentle nudge. On other occasions though, God had to be more forceful and had to be more direct. But either way you slice it, you cannot deny that God does have an interest. He has an active interest in men and women doing what is right. And I want you to know that that's not merely limited to Bible times. I want you to understand that God is still doing that today. Now maybe God's not doing that with talking animals or voices from the sky that say, If you build it, He will come. None of that kind of stuff going on. But God is most certainly working in His providence he is working providentially in our world today in order to keep us from going astray. And He does that through a number of different ways. Maybe He does that through preaching and teaching as I'm doing right now. And He ends up pricking our hearts through the power of His Word. Or maybe He does that through church discipline. Think about the function and the purpose of church discipline. To cause wayward souls to come back to the Lord. Or maybe God as well. Think about think about the role of suffering. That God will just allow suffering to take place in the life of an individual to cause them to be awakened to their situation. Or think about it as well, think about how God has built within us a conscience. God didn't have to give us consciences, but He did. A conscience that will speak up and it will holler out whenever it recognizes that we are headed in the wrong direction. Or maybe sometimes what God will do is He'll just put other people in our pathway at the right time and in the right place who will say the right thing and do the right thing to keep us from making a mess of our lives. God is working extremely hard to keep us from wandering down the path that Balaam was on, the path that leads to sin, the path that leads to error, the path that leads to separation and ultimately leads to destruction. God's just throwing down all kinds of roadblocks and obstacles to keep us from going to hell. Would you find 2 Peter chapter 3? Hold your hold your place in numbers. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter echoes this very point that I'm making here. In 2 Peter chapter 3, look in verse 9. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, Peter says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. Two things from that verse. Number one, God doesn't want you to perish. And number two, God wants you to reach repentance. Now, can I combine those two ideas to say something that I'm afraid doesn't get said enough? I'm afraid that I don't say it enough? 2 Peter 3 verse 9 is saying that God wants you to go to heaven. Can I just say that again? God wants you to go to heaven. I'm afraid I just do not say that nearly enough. Why in the world would God cause that donkey to talk in Numbers 22? Why in the world would God send various donkeys into our lives? I'll tell you why God does that. Because God wants us to go to heaven. You know, sometimes we act like we're down here on planet earth just kind of struggling all on our on our own, just all by ourselves, as if the Lord's up in heaven and He's looking down and He's saying, Whoa, that guy's about to get in. We can't have that. He'll, he'll crowd the place up up here. Let's, let's keep him out. No, that's not the Lord's attitude toward that. The Lord's not fighting against us. The Lord is fighting for us. Would you find Philippians 4 while you're in your New Testament? In Philippians chapter 4... Here's a verse that we often apply to our, our short-term, the daily struggles. But I want us to kind of zoom back and look at this verse in a broader sense, in the bigger picture. In Philippians 4 and verse 13, Paul writes, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now, there's certainly a million different scenarios in which we are strengthened through Christ and how how the Lord helps us on a day-to-day basis to overcome the, the trials and temptations and the difficulties of this life. But in the bigger picture, you know what that verse is saying? That verse is saying that the Lord will help you even to go to heaven. I can do all things. And that includes going to heaven because of Jesus Christ who strengthens me. And I should say the Lord's not going to help, the Lord's not going to help hypocrisy. And the Lord's not going to help somebody who's not serious about serving him. But the Lord will help people who will repent. The Lord will help people who are sincere, people who want to do his will. Honestly, now, do we really believe that God did all that work? Talked about that a lot this morning. What God did in sending his son to this earth. And for Jesus to lay down his life. In order to author our salvation. You think God went to all of that trouble only now to just kind of leave us all high and dry? Of course not. The Lord has literally moved heaven and earth so that you and I could have a way, we could find a way, we could get on the way that leads to heaven, and He wants you to go there. And that is exactly why God is working just all the time. He's working through, He's working through His Word. He's working through circumstances and events in our lives. He's working through your brothers brothers and your sisters in Christ. The Lord is just working overtime to provide you with the instruction, with the encouragement, and with the help that you need to stay on course. And as hard as it is to believe, the Lord wants that for us. But sometimes it's maybe hard for us to believe that that's what the Lord wanted for Balaam. But that is what He wanted for Balaam. The Lord wanted Balaam to get on the right path because the Lord wanted Balaam to someday go to heaven. And I think that that's something that Balaam finally did come to recognize. As you turn back to Numbers chapter 22, look at verse 34. In verse 34, after having this altercation with his donkey and after receiving that very stern rebuke from the angel of the Lord, what does Balaam say? Verse 34, he says, I have sinned. I've gotten way off course here. I didn't recognize how far off the path I was. I need to make some changes here. Now I realize, if you know kind of what happens later on in this story, I realize that that repentance seems to be rather short-lived. But I think that right there, in that moment, in that specific moment of time, as he stared down the razor-sharp edge of the angel's sword, I think that Balaam was so appreciative of that donkey preventing him from going one step further. He realized that that donkey had, in fact, saved his life. I think he was very glad, right then and there, that the donkey did what she did. I think in that moment, what Balaam realized was just how much he needed that donkey. And here's the question for us, Christian, have you come to that same realization Have you come to that same understanding and realization that you need donkeys just like that in your life? That is the realization that we need to come to, that I need to come to, that I need that. I need the various means and methods that the Lord will use, that we're calling donkeys this evening. I need that to keep me on the path that leads to heaven. And that is not always the easiest thing for us to have to admit. Especially, you think about it in America, we are a very do-it-yourself society. And many times we're just way too proud to acknowledge that, that we do need some help sometimes. That we do need help to kind of get it all straightened out and get back going the right way. One of the illustrations that I often think of and I often use is the idea of whenever you get a man, a male, and you put him behind the wheel of a car, he gets lost. Men, let's just own up to it. We're just not very good at admitting that we need help whenever we get lost when we're driving in the car. And and it's hard for us to admit. And I, I think I'm speaking honestly here on behalf of all men. Ladies, I hope you appreciate this. But there's just something, I think, in our DNA that prevents us from ever pulling out the GPS or looking at an old paper map or pulling off and asking for directions or maybe just maybe listening to our wives when they say the road was back that way. But for whatever reason, we just don't ever want that help and we don't ever want to hear it. We rationalize and say all kinds of stuff like, I don't need any help. I don't need directions. I'm not really lost. I'm just temporarily displaced. I think that's the politically correct way of saying it. If the sun hadn't been shining in my eyes, I would have seen that the exit was back that way. I can figure this out on my own. And I realize we can kind of laugh and chuckle about that, the idea of a man not really wanting any kind of help when it comes to driving. But I'm afraid that all too often, that is exactly our attitude toward the various donkeys that God will use to help us in getting on the right path that leads to heaven. All too often, we resist. We ignore. We push back. Maybe we get mad at those donkeys when they come. We start making all kinds of excuses because because we just don't want to admit that we somehow allowed ourselves to get off track. We don't like the fact that somebody else might actually come to us and point something out in our lives that we didn't notice ourselves. And we sure don't like the idea of having to humble ourselves with the truth that, you know what, I'm not the super-duper Christian of the year that I thought that I was. Many times that's hard for us. Yet when I open up my Bible... I try to place myself in the shoes of a number of Bible characters who got visits from a donkey, and it becomes clear that I do need that. Think about Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5. Imagine if Naaman had not listened to the good advice of those servants on that fateful day. Those servants who urged him, Naaman, will not you just listen to the prophet's instructions? Just go dip in the river. It's an easy thing to do. Do this and be cleansed. What if Naaman had just brushed those guys off and said, Who are you? Y'all are servants. You don't need to be talking to me in that way. I can figure this out on my own. What would have happened to Naaman? Naaman would have still been a leper. Or what about Apollos in Acts the 18th chapter? What if Apollos had just ignored the advice and the counsel of Aquila and Priscilla who took him to the side to explain to him the way of God more accurately? What if Apollos had thought... These people think they are making me their little project here. Why don't you guys go help somebody else who really needs your help right now? I'm the preacher here. Come on now. Go help somebody who's really spiritually bankrupt. I'm guessing if Apollos had had that attitude, his spiritual growth would have been stunted severely. Or what about even an apostle of the Lord? What about Peter in Galatians chapter 2? Peter who was confronted by his brother Paul for acting hypocritically. What if Peter, and we know the kind of hot-tempered fellow that Peter often could be, what if Peter just kind of flew off the handle at Paul? Hey, buddy, you don't come talking to me about hypocrisy. You're the guy who used to persecute Christians. You get out of my face. You go put that on somebody else. I imagine there's lots of stories in the Bible that would have turned out very, very differently if it weren't, first of all, for a sensible donkey coming along. Then secondly, if it weren't for a willing An open and attentive recipient. Somebody who was willing to hear what that donkey had to say. Who was willing to receive that information. Who was willing to accept that admonition and that advice or that correction that they needed. Look in the Psalms with me in Psalm 141. In Psalm 141, this is credited as a Psalm of David and it sure sounds like David. David is the man who famously was confronted by Nathan the prophet after being involved in just terrible, egregious sins, murder, lying, and adultery. I want you to notice what David's attitude was toward that kind of confrontation. David didn't push it away and say, I don't need that. In Psalm 141, look in verse 3. David says, "...set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips." Do not let my heart incline to any evil to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity and let me not eat of their delicacies. Notice verse 5 now. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. What David says is he says, God, if you leave me alone, if you leave me all to my lonesome, I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. I'm just going to end up going back to sin. And so David's prayer, David's plea is, Lord, please, whatever it takes, keep me from sinning today. Even if that means getting fiercely rebuked. Even if that means getting slapped in the face and punched in the mouth. I don't care, Lord. Just don't let me sin. Brother or sister, have you come to that same conviction about your own salvation and about your own soul? Have you come to the realization that that is what I need? Because just like David, I'll be the first to confess, I'm a sinner. A forgiven sinner, but a sinner nonetheless. And I am, I'll confess, I am enamored by the wicked and perverse things of this world, the pleasures of this world. I am enticed by the things that I see. My heart and my mind is so easily pulled in those directions. And all too often I find myself wanting to wander from the path. And isn't that exactly why the Bible repeatedly refers to the Lord as our shepherd? And that we in fact are His sheep. Sheep absolutely need the shepherd, don't they? Kathy's gonna jump on me for this because I say it all the time when I talk about sheep, but it's absolutely true. Sheep are cute. Sheep are fluffy. Sheep make funny noises, but come on, let's admit. Sheep are dumb. They are they are they are amongst the dumbest of all domesticated animals sheep absolutely need the guidance of the shepherd and when you think about the shepherd's various tools that he uses to guide the sheep you think about the rod that the shepherd uses to to fight off the predators or maybe the ram's horn that he carries to to blow and to alert the flock that there is danger present or even that the crooked staff that the shepherd uses to to pull back wandering sheep, to pull them back onto the path. When you think about all of that, what happens is, is we come to realize that a talking donkey, all that is is it's just another tool in the shepherd's tool belt. And furthermore, we come to realize just how dependent we are on that help because without it, we would go astray. And that's why, for example, when an older couple comes to me or they come to me and Tiffany together and they want to offer some advice about marriage, things that would help us to improve our marriage and have the kind of long-lasting marriage that they have, we ought to welcome that. We ought to be eager and excited to get that kind of talk. Or maybe when somebody approaches me after a sermon and they say, Josh, I appreciate your sermon today, but there's some things over here in this passage that I'm not really sure that you explain correctly, so can we sit down and talk about that? shouldn't be offended by that. should be happy about that. That a brother or a sister cares enough about me to point out that error of my way. Or maybe when a brother or a sister comes to me maybe in a private setting and they want to point out maybe a weak spot that they've noticed in my Christian walk and they want to maybe offer some things that will help me to improve in that area. I shouldn't buck against that and grind and push that away. No, I ought to be glad for that. Glad to receive that kind of help because I realize... This is the shepherd in action. The shepherd is using one of his greatest tools to get his sheep back on the path. The wise man says in Proverbs 15 and in verse 32 that he who refuses correction despises his own soul. But he who listens to reproof gets understanding. Do you love your soul? Do you love your soul as much as God loves your soul? Do you want to go to heaven as much as God wants you to go to heaven? Then I believe that's going to absolutely take a desire, yes, a desire to want to be opposed and confronted and rebuked whenever we find ourselves in the position that Balaam was. Now the interesting thing about Balaam, as you think about Numbers chapter 22, is that not only did Balaam need to be rebuked, but Balaam was actually in a very unique position where he could have been a help to somebody else. That's something that maybe we don't pay enough attention to when we read the Balaam story. You ever notice that? Balaam, obviously, he had some level of understanding about Jehovah, about the true and living God. And notice that in Numbers 22, Balaam is in the presence. He is in the company of godless people. He's here with Balak, or at least Balak's princes, and Balak's army, and Balak's men. He's around some people who really could have used some understanding about Jehovah, about the true and living God. Yet when you read Numbers 22, and 23, and 24, and even into 25, it becomes very clear that Balaam just didn't do a very good job in helping those folks to know about Jehovah. Which is why it's important that we conclude by saying something about how from time to time, from time to time, I'll have to be the donkey that helps somebody else. You see, it's not always going to be about others helping me. No, from time to time, it's going to be about how I can be used by the Lord to help somebody else. That I'll have to be the one who says the right thing at the right time, in the right way, to help a misguided or an erring soul to be right with their God. And that requires all kinds of important components. Would you find Galatians chapter 6, please? In Galatians chapter six, please don't leave here this evening thinking, "Well, you know, I'm not really concerned about you know helping anybody else and being the donkey in somebody else's circumstance." Well, hold on now, Galatians six. Galatians six makes abundantly clear that yes, you do have that obligation. In Galatians six and in verse one, Paul says, "Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness." Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So what do we have here? We've got maybe here's a brother or a sister who's gotten, they've gotten sidetracked. They've, they've taken their eyes off the goal and they've, they're, they're wandering in the wrong direction. They've become entangled again in sin. And I see them and I know their circumstances. And so I realize, I've got a responsibility here. Galatians 6 says, my responsibility is to help restore that person. Well, how am I going to do that? What is my approach? Well, Galatians 6 tells us, I'm going to do that in a spirit of gentleness. That's so important. If I'm going to be this donkey for the Lord, I need to think about how I'm going to do that. Now, this seems in some ways rather fundamental and obvious to have to say, yet it needs to be emphasized. Because sometimes it seems that within the Lord's church, there are basically two kinds of people. There are the uber, super-duper gentle who don't ever want to say anything to anybody about their spiritual condition because they're afraid of what might happen. And then at the other extreme, you've got brother attack dog. Brother attack dog who just cannot wait to go to that person and give them a piece of his mind. And he's going to come to that person and he's armed with the gospel gun and he's got it loaded with 700 Bible passages. He's just going to pound it into them people. And he's going to come like an attack dog, just biting and clawing and chewing on their legs. And the end result of that is that that brother or that sister is not restored. And so what happened here? Well, the timid did Nothing. And brother attack dog probably drove them further away from God. Neither of those extremes is going to work, is it? Look in Ephesians chapter 4 with me. In Ephesians chapter 4, here's where we find the balance that we need. In Ephesians chapter 4, they're couched within verse 15. In Ephesians 4 and verse 15, Paul says, Speak... The truth. Aha! There it is. Speak the truth, brother. Gotta speak the truth to this person. Gotta tell them what's going on. Gotta let them know about the error of their way. Okay, brother. We are. We're going to speak the truth. But how are we going to speak that truth? Paul says we're going to speak the truth in love. We need to think about that. I need to think about that. How would I want to be confronted How would I want to be rebuked? How would I want someone to admonish me? I need to think about the golden rule here. Okay, I ask you, does it help you whenever somebody gets up in your face and they're poking a hole in your chest and they're just publicly kind of just dressing you down right out here in front of everybody and they're just laying the smack down on you for all of your spiritual inadequacies? Does that help you to think really, really clearly about the condition of your soul? Does that help you to really soberly examine the the path that you're on? It doesn't mean. All it does is it provokes and it just makes matters worse. People are shouting and they're yelling and name-calling and hollering and labeling. All that does is it just causes folks to get defensive and it causes folks to get angry. And James says in James chapter 1 and verse 20 that the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. I don't know where it is that we got this idea that the way to bring the erring or the loss back to Jesus is to just make them so mad that they're going to go home and just prove us wrong. That, that isn't Christ-like. That isn't biblical in any kind of way. That doesn't help people to draw closer to God and get back going in the direction that they need to go. Now I ought to say something here because I've been kind of emotional right here and that's, that's just, that's par for the course. There's going to be some emotion involved in here when you confront somebody about their soul. There is often going to be negative reactions when you do that Galatians 6 stuff. You know, you start talking to folks about serious spiritual problems in their life. You try to be the donkey to Balaam, and what you'll find out is that very, very quickly, that's not always greeted with a warm welcome, is it? People sometimes will get mad that you point things out in their life. People will get bent out of shape. They'll hang up the phone. They'll slam the door in your face. They'll say, it's none of your business. I want to tell you this evening that we can expect that people from time to time will not react kindly. In fact, as you think back in Numbers chapter 22, how did Balaam react to the donkey? Three times he whips the donkey, beats the donkey. Balaam didn't react kindly to what the donkey was trying to do. So we ought to just brace ourselves for a little bit of backlash whenever we're having to be the donkey, that doesn't mean that we're going to do nothing. That fear of what somebody else might do if I go and talk to them about their soul, it doesn't mean that I'm just going to kind of, you know, I'm going to go hide back here and I don't ever want to say anything to that person. Absolutely not. That's just not even an option on the table. We can't water down the truth when we talk to people and we sure can't retreat and do nothing. We're going to have to say something. We're going to have to do something. My concern for you, and I hope that your concern for me is so great that we will actually risk getting mad at each other because we care that much about each other's souls. And yes, that will take some courage on our part, won't it? I imagine that it took a great deal of courage for John the Baptist to go to Herod and say, Herod, buddy, that ain't your wife. and You don't have any business being with that woman. That's your brother's wife. I imagine that took a whole lot of courage and it cost John his life. John said what needed to be said. And I know that there is always going to be a certain amount of fear and trepidation that we have about confrontation, confronting someone as close as our brother or our sister in Christ. I understand about all that. But I always just keep coming back to the power of love and what love is able to do. One final passage in 1 John 4. In 1 John the 4th chapter, John tells us what real, genuine love is able to do. What it's able to conquer. In 1 John chapter 4 and in verse 18, John says, 1 John 4 verse 18, John says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. When I love people's souls as much as God loves people's souls, then that's going to drive whatever fears I might have out of my mind and out of my body. In fact, at the very least, it's going to suppress those fears, hopefully long enough for me to go and say something to that person. If I were to, let me illustrate it this way, if if I were to come home one afternoon, and God forbid, if I were to find that my house is on fire, and I come to learn that my wife and my daughter are trapped inside, I don't care how big those flames are, I don't care what Mr. Fireman says, I'm going in there. I'm absolutely going in there. Somebody says, Josh, wouldn't you be afraid? Absolutely I would be afraid. Are you still going in there? Absolutely I'm going in there. Why? Because I love my wife. And I love my daughter. And i do anything to save them. Now when I look at people's souls, specifically my brothers and my sisters, when I look at their souls in that same way, My knees might be knocking. My mouth may be as dry as the Sahara Desert in the middle of July. But when I love souls, I'm going to do something. I'm going to say some word to help point this precious brother or sister back to the way. And I am convinced that if we do have the right motivation, the right attitude, and if we have the right heart about that, I'm confident the Lord's going to help us with that. He will. I'm sure of it that He will help us to know what's the right thing to say, and how to say it, and when's the right time to say it. If God could do that with a donkey, God could surely do that with you and I. Now somebody's maybe thinking right now, Josh, if I do the the donkey thing, and I have the, the right motivation and the right attitude and the right approach, does that mean that that person is... is is always going to get it straightened out and they're going to make their life right and they're going to get back on the right path. Well, you know that I can't promise you that. The Bible doesn't promise us that. You and I recognize that we are creatures that have been made with, with free will. We get to choose. We get to decide. We've been given freedom of choice. Balaam had the freedom of choice. Balaam was not forced to do anything against his will. The only thing that that talking donkey did was get Balaam to think about the direction that he was traveling. And in much the same way, as much as God wants people to go to heaven, and as often as He will use donkeys to cause us to consider our ways, ultimately, ultimately it still lies with us. We're the ones that have to make the choice. We get to choose whether we're going to serve Him, or whether we're going to serve sin and self. And if this story from Numbers chapter 22, if it teaches us anything, it's that if I choose to be in a relationship with God, then I better well understand that donkeys, donkeys are going to be involved in that. And those donkeys, they're not there for comic relief. This isn't funny business. In fact, it is very serious business. It's a matter of life and death. And I hope this evening, as we've talked about Numbers 22, maybe in a different kind of life. I hope that that's helped to bring some of those kinds of things into greater clarity for us as we think not only about our own soul salvation, but as we as well think about the salvation of the people that are around us. If you're using a songbook, you can be getting that out, turning it to the song that's been selected. We're going to sing that song in just a moment to give you an opportunity to think, well, to think about the path that you're on. That's really what we've been talking about all night. What path are you on? Are you on the path that actually leads to heaven? Or could it maybe that you're actually walking down the path of Balaam? A path of disobedience. A path of rebellion. A path that is way outside of the will of God. If that is you this evening, then you have a wonderful opportunity right now to pump the brakes, to put a stop to what you're doing, and to get it turned around. The Bible word for that is repentance. And if you're not a Christian, you have the opportunity tonight to be baptized for the remission of your sins so that you can become a child of God. If you are a Christian, you're going to pump those brakes, turn it around, that's repentance, and you're going to pray to God and ask for His forgiveness and seek the help of your brothers and sisters as well as we try to help each other in our journey toward heaven. Our gracious Savior, Jesus Christ, He has authored for us a path, the path that leads to eternal life. We must meet His conditions. and We must surrender our all to Him. Are you ready to surrender your all to Jesus this evening? If so, you simply need to make those desires known. You can do that right now while we stand and while we sing.